Well, we often say that we're a church of the Spirit, and yes, we're also a church of the Word. We believe so much that God's Word, the Bible, um, grounds us in our faith. And, and so it's not enough just to hear it, but it needs to actually get into your mind and your brain, your body, to bring about change. So it's a great thing to take a, a course and really get some some in-depth understanding. So that's what Cover to Cover is. Thursday nights, 6.30 to 8.30, from August 26th to December 16th. We'll be offering that Cover to Cover. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Um, you can register online. It's through Village School of the Bible, who many of you have, have had some opportunity to do that um, and be a part of it. So we're excited about it. I am really excited to be able to share with you in this series called Unleash the the next step in this journey with Paul. And I, I want to just begin it by just sharing with you that one of my favorite, I've said this before, cartoonists is, is Gary Larson of Farside, and he has a, 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 a cartoon that shows the moods of Irish setters. I am more, you know, prone to golden retrievers. And so having a golden retriever, I, I really resonate with, you know, the, the different moods you see on that dog's face from happy to being pensive, depressed, Excited and then angry and then and then you can really watch disappointed um, is all these different things discouraged whatever it is sometimes hard to see on a dog like that the, in their face what they're feeling right um, I often find with people you can work with people and you may have a person who you just can't really tell when they're even discouraged. It could be that um, you know of someone who, on a strength finder's assessment, has tested in positivity, and, and they just seem positive all the time. But everyone comes to points in their life where they're, dis- they're discouraged, whether their face shows it or not. In fact, as you um, think about it, even in the Bible, even the saints who you think have this close walk with God, which they do, come to points where they're discouraged. And we find that in the Apostle Paul as we look at this morning's passage of Scripture. Paul is in a time of discouragement. And it says, as you look at Acts chapter 18, in this series Unleashed, we've been looking specifically at chapters 17 through 19. We kind of broke down this series of Acts, this um, time through Acts, in, in specific parts. And this is what I'd call chapter Unleashed. And what I want to talk to you about is is how God worked in Paul's life to unleash him from discouragement. And he can do the same for you. He can do that for someone you're praying for. And so I want to walk through that in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. We need to begin here where it says, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And I just want us to stop for a moment, pause, and think really deeply about this little transitional verse. Because in this verse, if you unpack it and get behind it, there's a backstory that helps you understand that when you read this, Paul wasn't just going into Corinth all ready to go and all charged up and all excited, but he was discouraged, I think even to the point of being depressed, really broken. And so as we look at this, just this little connection here, we need to have the backstory and understand what's going on. Paul has been on the run, and he's just been running, and he is running hard. Um, 
And is uh, last week, if you had the opportunity to hear uh, Bruce Drugsma speak, he did an incredible job. I gave him a, a really difficult task, which I like to do when everyone's filling the pulpit. Peter Kapsner will tell you about that all the time. And his task was to take this congregation through three cities, through Thessalonica and Acts, through Berea, and then through Athens, which is this run through the cities, really in many ways like Paul did. And, and Bruce did an incredible job um, running us through that, giving you kind of high points of each one of those things. But as you look at this passage of scripture, you're doing just like you did last week with Bruce. You're running through with Paul. And, and, and Paul is doing this from city to city. He's in Philippi. He gets beat and put in jail in Philippi. They don't give him a trial. They find out afterward he's a Roman citizen. They had just become a Roman colony and they were so afraid of losing it that they actually marched him out. They couldn't make him leave, but they pleaded with him to leave. He left. He went to Thessalonica. Goes to Thessalonica. It's so exciting. There's a great start. There's conversions. There's miracles. And then all of a sudden the Jewish segment of the synagogue who were opposed to this message of Jesus chased him out of town, ran him out of town. Silas and Timothy followed behind, and they went to Berea, the next city. Paul gets to Berea. Silas and Timothy show up. And as they show up, Paul is teaching the Bereans about Jesus. And and they're listening. And they're listening. And they're listening. And they say, you know, they're not a, a quick sell. They go, you know what? We need to really look into the Old Testament a bit more on this. And as he's sharing this with them, they're not responding yet. These guys from Thessalonica come and chase him again. They chase only Paul. So Paul's running hard, but here's the next thing that happened. Paul is now on, on his own. He left alone. He left, he left Timothy and Silas back in Berea because they weren't after him. They were after Paul. So Paul goes around the west coast of Greece and in this beautiful coast and he's heading straight for Athens. He is so excited to get to Athens because even though he's running hard on fumes, even though he's all alone, all his life he's wanted to go to Athens. Athens is kind of like Harvard, Stanford, and MIT on steroids. Okay? It's the intellectual elite. It's the philosophers of the day. If, if you wanted and, and you had anything that you wanted to share and you were smart, that's where you're headed to. And Paul is one of those kind of guys. He was taught by a guy named Gamaliel, who was the most recognized teacher in that Middle East, in that Palestine area. And so Paul shows up. He gives us this wonderful um, apologetic argument. It's brilliant when you read through it. But it's really hard to understand, too. And Paul gets done with that. And if you get to Acts chapter 17, 34, just before this, chapter 18, it ends with Luke writing this. Only a few people became followers of Paul and believed. Which is an interesting thing. Followers of Paul. Not followers of Jesus. And there's something in that. We'll talk maybe a little bit about that, but Paul leaves there. He's been running on fumes. He's all alone. He heads out of there with hardly any response. His expectations are unmet. He's disappointed and he's discouraged. And he comes to Corinth feeling really 
abandoned, broken, and I think not even sure how to go on in ministry. And there were a number of things that led to Paul's discouragement, almost depression. And I want you to to hear these, and it may be that some of this might be true where you're at right now. Or God might be calling you to be aware of something that is going on so you don't hit that time of deep discouragement. And so as you look at this, the first thing is Paul's just worn out. He's been running hard. His emotional tank is unempty. It's one way to, to look at it. His emotional tank is unempty. I thought to myself as I read this, he's going around the west coast of Greece. Why didn't he stop in one of those nice you know, um, hotels where, you know, the full package, where he could be sitting out by the, the sea and grabbing a pina colada and just really just kick back for three, four days until Timothy and Silas catch up. But he doesn't. He's running on empty. And you too made me to think about this. What does it mean for you to run on empty? I remember the time in my life, I was um, earlier in my ministry, I'd been running hard, and it, it, it was one of those times where what was happening was I, was, I, I didn't even know it, but I was emotionally, my tank was kind of at its lowest it could be. And, and I'd do something and I'd get affirmation and that would fill my tank up and do something and I'd get affirmation and it'd fill my tank up. And it was kind of running this kind of way. And I was um, experiencing some temptation in my life that normally wouldn't be difficult to deal with. And so I'm, I'm driving to Camp Shiamma to go pray with a bunch of pastors. It so happens that, that a couple of the guys in my group, I, one of them is John Piper, and another guy was a guy at Berean Baptist. It was just like this phenomenal one of these the three of us. But on my way there, I put in a tape, I listened to a message from somebody, and he talked about how important it is to take um, stock of the gauges in your life. Look at them like an indicator light on, on your car. Are they flashing? And he talked about a physical gauge. And he said, is your physical gauge, are you, is it, is it empty or is it high? So for instance, let me just ask you, in your state right now, what you're doing, it's really simple. Are you eating well? Are you getting good nutrition? What about your sleep? If you're not resting well, your physical tank isn't going to be what it should be. Are you getting exercise? See, I was doing all those things. So my physical tank, when I looked at that, I went, yeah, that's not bad. And then, then he went into another one. He said, your spiritual tank. He goes, how's that going? Are you reading God's word? Are you kind of going through COVID and going, yeah, it really doesn't matter if I'm together on a Sunday morning. If I make it, you know, and I'm not talking about doing this as a pharisaical approach of getting God going, oh, he was there on Sunday. No, are you committed to being together rather than just, ah, it's easy not to go. Where you get filled up with community and worship. And I, I just, I want to just say to, to Andrea and Taylor and, and Lillian and the team and those of you on this team, you you feed us well, and I'm so grateful for you. What about being in transparent relationships where you're in maybe a small group? Maybe you need to be thinking about that in the fall. And so I remember I looked at my spiritual gauge, and my spiritual gauge was really good. I was doing all those things. So physical tank seemed to be good. Spiritual tank was doing well. And then he talked about the emotional tank. And he talked about, and it was like the Lord Jesus, in a very kind way, put his finger in my chest and said, this is it, man. 
You have run from one thing, get affirmation, run to the next. You've never taken time to truly recover emotionally from the investment that you're making in the lives of people or in your, in your calling or your work. You, you haven't taken days off. You haven't taken a few days off. That is one of my biggest difficulties. I just went through a period where I just know what I, you know, it's just amazing. God loves us so much. He, he tells you something and then you find yourself doing it again. Anybody been in that situation? Well, that's what's going on with Paul. Paul's worn out. His emotional tank is empty. Paul's disappointed. He has these expectations. You ever have outcomes that you're planning and you seek to control and it doesn't happen? I think that was happening with Paul in in some ways. Paul was overwhelmed. What what we don't realize is that Paul is a a former synagogue-going Pharisee, pure-hearted person who lived in many places in his life where there was pretty pretty morally decent people. And now he comes to Corinth. Corinth, if you understand Corinth, about 146 BC, the Romans went through and leveled the city, destroyed it completely. It was done, it was gone, it was decimated. In 45 AD, around then, BC, so 146 BC, about 100 years later, 45 BC, Julius Caesar decides, let's build this city because this is a great place where it can be, and it becomes called the bridge between the two worlds, where all kinds of trade could take place. And so he rebuilds Corinth, and Corinth is this place where there are all kinds of startups, all kinds of new things are happening. It's wealthy, it's making money, and yet at the same time, they had such a a sexually loose um, licentious kind of society that in, when it came to um, fornicating, they would call it Corinthizing. And he comes into this place, and it's really kind of what I would call a combination of um, Silicon Valley meets Las Vegas. And it's just growing wildly. It is the place to have a church plant. But he walks in and he sees the moral mess and decay. And with what he's seen in the past cities where he at this point doesn't know really what's happened in Philippi. He has no idea of the church in Thessalonica. And he has no idea what the Brians have decided. He saw what happened in Athens. Can you imagine? He looks at this and goes, man, if God didn't establish something there and I'm chased out of a town. How is he going to do anything in this mess? And so these are the kind of the causes, and you may even yourself be in this situation where you're kind of going, where you're overwhelmed with what you see in front of you. It doesn't have to be a moral mess. It just could be you're overwhelmed with what, what needs to be done to accomplish what you are hoping in your heart. Could be in your family. Could be in your business, your work could be in your finances. And you just kind of go, God, how are you going to how are you going to make a difference here? And so that's what's going on. So here are the causes that are going on and I just encourage you to truly think through are some of these things true for you if you're in a place of discouragement or maybe as you're thinking about it and you've been praying for someone you know they are, you maybe see that. It's really tough though when a person's going through that to try and help them see it. But it does help to pray with a sense of perspective. 
What I want you to do now is just take a moment with me, because now as we go through verses 1 through 3 in, in, in chapter 18 and through the rest of these verses through about verse 17, I want to show you how God is engaged in his life and how God wants to bring him encouragement, how God may in your situation want to bring you encouragement, but you have to be in a place where you're still walking with God, you're moving forward, and your eyes are open to seeing maybe God is moving in certain ways, and let God work in your heart. And so as you go along this passage of scripture, one of the first things you find is that God is so much in love with Paul that he sends him some new friends. Verses 1 through 3. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. So here's one of the passages that you can actually mark really well in history because we know when the deportation took place in Rome. You'll also get another good marker when we go a little bit later and talk about Gallio because we know when he was there. So Paul lived and worked with them, it says, for they were tent makers just as he was. What I think is really interesting, how God arranged in his life to bring new friends into his life. There's just a quick aside that I want you to notice here. It begins with the reference, Luke says, with Aquila. And and, and then Luke mentions that uh, Aquila's recent marriage to Priscilla. But from that point on, he will not refer to him as Aquila and Priscilla. He will actually begin to uh, refer to them as Priscilla and uh, uh, Aquila. And the reason for that, when Luke would do that, You'll see in, in like verse 18 of chapter 18, the last part of 18, it says, Then Paul set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila. He wasn't being polite. It's the way in this Greek that Luke shares, here's the person with the spiritual gift of leadership. Here's the one who was kind of driving the leadership in, in, in the situation in ministry. And, and, and Paul would have that happen in other places because you'll go on, you'll see Priscilla and Aquila. Just go back to chapter 13 of Acts and you'll see it again. It's, it's, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and then it becomes Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, because now Paul becomes the lead person in it. Now, they became fast friends, these three. So you have Priscilla and Aquila with Paul, and they become fast friends, and their friendship is really easy to note. It's around three things. They're believers. They they work the same trade. Isn't that cool that God brought these new friends in who he could relate to, he could actually work with? He was now working alone. They were all three on the run. They were being chased and persecuted for their faith, yet they were coming from different directions. Paul was coming from the west, and, and Priscilla and Aquila were coming from the east out of Rome, and they meet in this one city. And they're there for 18 months together. Paul's no longer alone. He's with people he could relate to. Then the second thing I want you to note in, in the way that God is working, he brings new friends into his life. And, and, and you know, keep your eyes open. What is God doing? Is he bringing something new into your life? Keep your eyes because God might be working to encourage you. The next is this, the support system that he brings. Paul traveled with a support system of about six different people. And on the way, he would pick up some more and he drops them off to stay back. But he worked with a, a kind of a support team. Jesus did the same. He had 12 that he walked with throughout his life. It's really important to have people who know you well that you do life with. 
that you begin to kind of engage with so that you can can be there for one another in difficult times. And so that's what you see happen here because when you read this passage of Scripture, it says that each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike, and then his support system shows up. And after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. It's kind of like a sense of relief, all oh, freedom. I don't have to do a job. I can focus and concentrate on what God called me to do, which I will just say to the church, I am so grateful for how generous you are because your generosity with regard to the financial support allows for me and other staff to give our heart and our focus to ministry. And if you're new and you're just kind of getting here and started and, and you're in that process of thinking, your gifts make a difference. Paul has them coming. He's now able to preach the word. He testifies to the Jews that Jesus was Messiah. And when he um, when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. It was his way of saying, my focus is changing to the Gentiles. Doesn't mean he doesn't still go to the Jews, but it focus goes to the Gentiles. Here's what the support system did for Paul. Timothy and Silas, they show up and they give him good news. The first is that in Thessalonica, the church is growing, even in the midst of its persecution. So Paul writes a letter to them in Corinth, back to Thessalonica. And they tell him about the Bereans. And he says, the Bereans, guess what? They, they were really good. They examined the scripture they got done. And guess what? Many of them said, yes, it does point to Jesus. And we have a whole church that started there, and, and that's influencing the area. And then here's the real kicker, Paul. You remember that church in Philippi we came to, that city of Philippi where you got beat and thrown in jail and there was only a few people? Guess what? That church, that poor church took an offering and gave you a gift so that you can give all your concentration to ministry. And so Paul didn't have to work as a leather person in a part-time situation. He gave full attention to because of the gifts of the people. So you, you see this support team. I have to share with you, as I'm sharing this, is God calling any of you to kind of examine, is there someone who is coming to your mind that God brings to your mind that you know you should probably write a note to or you should give a phone call to? I um, I say this with... Uh, Sadness in my heart. I remember when my kids were in preschool and, and Grace was working and doing work at the church and, and all the music stuff and engaged doing interior design stuff and, and, you know, I was giving all my heart to it and Grace is a positivity on the scale. So there's, you know, there's just, I'm not really good at reading emotions and other things of people. Um, and, uh, but I, I I remember Grace's mom came to stay with us for a week and I, she could see how much Grace needed strength. And in her loving way, and, and she is a great mother-in-law to, to her son-in-law, said, you know, I think I want to take Grace and the girls back to our house for a week or so. And just kind of nurtured you. And I don't ever want to miss that again in my wife. And I don't want us to be people that miss that in others. But you can't do that unless you're close to people. So
So he has a support team that does that. It's really cool. And then the third thing is that he, he comes with deep independency. He says he left and went to the home of Titius Justice, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. This is exciting. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. This is so significant because in Athens he had few. But when he comes here, there's many. And there's something that happened that we don't read and don't know in the text unless you read Second Corinthians, the second, uh, First Corinthians, the second chapter. Paul, when he was in Rome, and it said, Luke even gives us kind of, he says, they were followers, no, not many became followers of who? Paul. There was a sense that Paul even admits this in First Corinthians, that he was working out of his own abilities, his own strength. He was in his own wisdom. He was doing it. Not that God wasn't there. He testified to God. But he, he recognizes this. And the way you can know this is if you look at First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. Listen to this. When I first came to you, to the Corinth, he's writing this letter years later. Dear brothers and sisters, I did not use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. For I decided, resolved, that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness. I was timid and trembling. I was discouraged and depressed. And my message and my preaching were were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust Not in a human's wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul resolved only to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He knew the word of God. A lot of us really know the word of God. But the challenge right now, God might be in your own heart just saying, but I want you to walk with me step by step, every day, every moment in the power and strength in demonstration of that through the Spirit. Dependency. This is what happens here. He learns a deepened dependency which encourages his heart. No longer on his own abilities apart from God. That would never be an option again for him. I love how the NIV translates the words in 1 Corinthians. It says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified in his brokenness. I'm going to be just like that broken. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God loves your abilities. Jesus has given you abilities. You can do great things in those abilities. They're good. But you, apart from a complete dependency on the Spirit, will not do the kind of works that God wants done. We, folks, as a church body, the reason why we emphasize prayer and say we want prayer to be so important in our life is not because in some way prayer is this magical thing. Prayer is merely an expression that we are dependent on one person, and that's the Holy Spirit, who points to Jesus Christ, our loving Father. And so as I, I read this, I just want us to say, ah, oh, Jesus even said this. He said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, you will bear much fruit. You want to be fruitful, a fruit that lasts forever? For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
The fourth is a renewed vision. You read 9 and 10. I love these verses. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack and harm you. I mean, you, you got to be in Paul's shoes kind of going, But wait a second, God. It has not been a good road. I could just see the conversation. But no, 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 Paul, I am with you. No one will attack you and harm you. For many people in this city, listen to this, belong to me. So Paul didn't run from the city being chased by people. He stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Down, discouraged, and on the verge of depression, what I find is interesting is Paul continues to make space for God to speak in his heart. He continues to, to allow for there to be times where he will hear his word, where he will walk with him, where he'll spend time in prayer. You see, in his, in his, most people have visions when they're meditating and concentrating or reading God's word. And, and then what happens as in that time of prayer, God gives him and comes to him and speaks to him. Paul had a number of those occasions. So what's really clear here is that Paul continued to make space for God. And, and, and as you are experiencing discouragement, just continue to make space for God. Because I can promise you this, that nothing will change your, your heart from being discouraged than a, a conversation, an actual encounter with God, a heart-to-heart conversation with him. This last week, I came from um, a trip that I took with my college buddies. I'll talk more about it next Sunday. Um, and it was one of those situations where we were on a Missouri River. There was no, it was up in Montana, and there was no ability to get phone service. And I was there for about four days. And after about the second day, I didn't remember what day it was. I just chose, I'm not going to take my phone out. I didn't wear my watch. And I came back, and it ruined me a little bit because it was so good being unplugged. I had a hard time getting plugged in again. And so Tuesday morning, usually, I've been Grace and I've been walking, but Tuesday morning is a time when she walks with someone else. So I walked on my own, and, and so I was making space for God. But the whole time, probably halfway of the four mile walk, I'm just complaining. I really wish Grace was here, you know, in my spirit. Until all of a sudden, I just turned to the Lord. I started speaking to him. I said, you know, God, I am having a hard time plugging in. And I began to deal with the things that were overwhelming me and those kind of things. And I had one of those experiences again where the Lord Jesus in his graciousness, you know, he doesn't speak to me like, Kevin, I am now talking to you. I didn't see anything this time. You know what? God is so incredible that he can actually, he doesn't need to use words, he can impress his thoughts on your, on your mind. A lot of you, God speaks to you, you just can't, you haven't discerned the difference. Some of you are older, you remember when you used to answer the phone and you, and, and they didn't, it wasn't like now where you can go, oh, that's who it is, I'm not answering that, right? When you would answer the phone, I remember when I was first falling in love with Grace and, and I, all of a sudden I answered the phone and I could tell her voice like that. I could tell God's voice in my mind like that. He came to me and he just said, Kevin, this isn't about you what's happening here. You just need to watch. You just do what you need to do. And it's just so, it's so wonderful. So I said, oh, that's great. And so in my spirit, I was just able to plug in again. God wants to renew your vision. 
But he can't do it if you're not taking time and giving him space to speak to you. When you're running hard and you're not taking time, it's really hard. God often has to use a different way to get your attention. Anybody know what it is? It's suffering. It's like Paul coming to the end of his rope. The last thing is this. Finally, I just want to share with you God's sovereignty. Worship team, if you want to come forward. Acts 18, 11 through 17. And I want you, I will not have the time I'd like to go through these verses, but I want you to hear this. When Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul, brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. This is a huge decision that Gallio's going to make. They were trying to say, the approved faith of Judaism or, or the Old Testament Jews, this is a, this is not a Jewish faith. We want you to pass a law that condemns it throughout the Roman Empire, beginning in Achaia. Now, Gallio was brought to this place around 51 to 53, happens to only be there about two years, about the same time that Paul comes, and then God is sovereignly working not only to bring him, but he brings also um, Priscilla and Aquila. But Gallio makes this incredible decision. He says this as he um, goes through this passage. He says, as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio doesn't even let Paul talk. Gally turned to Paul's accusers and said, listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names of your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. God, in his sovereign grace, makes a decision that allows Christianity still be approved by the Roman world. Even though they're persecuted like the Jews were, they're still in approved faith. Huge decision. And in Paul's mind was another one of those things that you might be experiencing if your eyes are open to it. God is sovereignly at work in your situation. I don't care how messy you think it is. He is, a, he is, he is working. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of... Um, should we have him stand? Or do you want him seated? Let's have you stand. And I'm going to ask you just to kind of prayerfully, as you sing this song, I just want to encourage you in these moments, be open. You may need an encounter with God right now. Right now at this moment, you might need to just say, I open my heart to you, Jesus. Because nothing restores a person's soul like a heart-to-heart talk with God.